An unknown cyber attacker hacked the network of a water treatment facility in Oldsmar, Florida, and used their access to the computer systems to attempt to contaminate the city's water supply with a harmful level of chemicals. Staff at the facility were able to restore the chemical levels of the water to normal so that nobody was harmed, but the incident demonstrates how cyber attacks against critical infrastructure can potentially have dangerous consequences in the physical world. I'm Danny Palmer, this is ZDNet Security Update, and with me to discuss the Florida water treatment hack and the cybersecurity lessons which must be learned from it is Joe Slowick, Senior Security Researcher at Domain Tools. Thanks for joining me, Joe. So what happened in Oldsmar? The incident in Oldsmar, it's important to note there's still a number of things that we just don't know. So while we are fairly certain based upon a press conference held by local authorities and some subsequent but fairly high level reporting from US agencies, we know that some unknown entity remotely accessed the plant environment uh, potentially using remote monitoring and access software known as TeamViewer. So no exploits were involved in this. This was appears that someone was just able to gather, guess, or capture credentials somehow and leverage that to access the victim environment. And then something very curious happened that uh, the levels of chlorine, or not chlorine, I'm sorry, the levels of uh, sodium hydroxide within the plant environment were increased by a factor of over 100 uh, from their normal parts per million. Should be 100 parts per million, it was increased to 1,100 uh, or 11,000 or something, some outrageous number of parts per million. And certainly at that level of concentration, that becomes caustic and dangerous. Now, it's important to note that the operators at the plant facility identified this change and the remote uh, access as it was going on and were able to stop this activity. Now, a couple of considerations that are important to keep in mind. First, the, the sheer size of the manipulation that was attempted would have been caught, may not even have been effective given the uh, equipment on hand in terms of just trying to dump that high a concentration of the treatment chemical into the plant environment to begin with. Second, and as emphasized by the personnel at the facility, it would take 24 to 48 hours for that change in the water treatment facility to then be reflected downstream for residential and other users of the local water supply. So there were many ways that this could have been countered or caught before it would have resulted in harm. Uh, that's, you know, thankfully how critical infrastructure environments are designed with plenty of engineering controls and safeguards in place. But putting that aside, it's still very concerning that someone was able to access this environment and then decided to start fiddling with the controls for uh, potentially harmful chemicals when in higher concentrations. And that gets us into broader issues in terms of the accessibility of critical infrastructure control environments, uh, how these environments are protected, defended, and monitored, and whether such activities like this could be commonplace? Or is this something that is more than just old smart, but that we have to be worried about uh, more in general? With that observation, it is important to note, although these do not appear to be related uh, incidents, or at least by the same actor, there's no evidence tying these, but a similar sort of 
incident or attempted incident uh, took place in Israel in 2020 a couple of times where unknown entities assessed by some parties to be linked to Iranian interests uh, or possibly Palestinian uh, parties of some sort uh, accessed externally accessible water treatment and water uh, transportation equipment in Israel and may have attempted some manipulations uh, in those environments. We don't know a whole lot about those incidents either, but superficially resembles what we saw in Oldsmar. And really what we could, if there's one thing that we can take from all of these items in uh, aggregate is that one, critical infrastructure environments for better or for worse require some degree of remote accessibility, whether that's because we're in times of COVID and people cannot be on site all the time, or just because due to operational efficiencies and modernization, we've concentrated operations for lots of environments, whether we're talking electric distribution sites or wastewater treatment facilities or water treatment facilities into centralized control centers. So we can't just say, well, why don't we just air gap and isolate all these items? Like that's it might be ideal, it's just not going to happen at this point. So we need some degree of remote accessibility. So then it becomes a question of doing so in a way that is safe, secure, and can be well monitored so that when something like what was witnessed in Oldsbar is attempted, that defenders can either outright stop that activity from taking place or detect it quickly enough to prevent uh, any malicious or uh, potentially dangerous activity from uh, coming out of, of that access. Now, with that in mind, there are some really odd items about the Oldsmar incident, which largely suggest that this was maybe an immature, not terribly well thought out or fairly amateurish sort of attempt to manipulate the facility. So first, uh, the intrusion or the remotely accessing this environment took place during standard operating hours for the facility, which is why there was someone on hand that could see the manipulations taking place in real time. Uh, presumably, although you can make the argument that doing this sort of activity after hours also leaves certain forensic artifacts, but if you're doing this in real time and you're worried about someone stopping you in progress, then you probably wouldn't want to do this while someone is watching. Uh, so that's a questionable item. Another uh, important facet, and this puts the incident in light of other industrial impacting incidents, there was no attempt, as far as we can tell, to obfuscate, deny, or otherwise uh, manipulate visibility into the environment for operators. Whereas we look at events ranging from Stuxnet, the Ukraine power events, to the Triton incident in Saudi Arabia, in each of those cases, the attacker needed to try to manipulate the operator's understanding of the environment for an attack to succeed. And it doesn't appear that there was any attempt or even uh, technical capability for doing so in this case. Uh, and finally, that outrageous manipulation of the PPM for the chemical levels in the environment, again, shows something that would stand out, obviously, to anyone monitoring this environment and may not even have been physically possible with the equipment on hand for distributing chemicals within the water treatment facility. And taking all of those into consideration really suggests that this was someone potentially fiddling around, as scary as that might sound, because while that 
doesn't sound all that dangerous at the same time someone was accessing a water treatment facility and playing around with chemicals that are dangerous in high concentration or an entity that was just simply unprepared for doing anything truly significant uh, let alone sophisticated although i hate using that word uh with respect to the water treatment uh plant in oldsbar that's one of the curious things about this incident that it is a water treatment facility for quite a small town uh, in florida which you wouldn't think would have any sort of significance as it were to uh, whoever was performing this attack so why, you know, we ultimately we might not know, but why was this uh, potentially attacked in the first place? Could it have just been the, the, the case that because the way this network was accessible, uh, someone out there found it and thought, oh, okay, I can get in here. I'm going I'm to see what I can do. Right. And there's a slang term for just hunting around for externally accessible items and typically taking screenshots and posting, look what I found somewhere. Uh, Shodan safaris would be one way of uh, talking about such items. And yes, it's very possible that this was simply an opportunistic, someone was searching for control systems that were externally accessible, found this and maybe started clicking where they shouldn't have been clicking or doing some other activity. However, for the more conspiracy-minded, it is important to note the city of Oldsmar, while it is a relatively small town of 15,000 or so people, I believe, uh, it is a suburb of the city of Tampa Bay in Florida. The date and time of this incident, I believe it was the 5th of February or Friday, uh, took place just before a major American sporting event, the American Football Super Bowl, which was taking place in Tampa Bay. So you could tell a story that someone either very deliberately looking for infrastructure items that were accessible within that region in conjunction with the event in question, or uh, a little bit more scary would be someone deliberately searching for ways of trying to cause some sort of disruption uh, in conjunction with that event, found this facility, and then decided to try and manipulate it. It is important to note, though, uh, that an analysis, at least of public records and other available information, indicates that the city of Tampa Bay, as well as the Buccaneer, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the team that was hosting the event, uh, their football stadium is on a completely separate water network. So this would not have been the ideal target if this is what uh, some entity was trying to uh, achieve. But it does make for an interesting story and indicates potentially, although we don't know, why this relatively small facility from a town that no one has ever really heard of before was impacted in this event. So when it came to breaking into the network of this water treatment facility, how did the attacker go about doing it? So right now we don't know. <laughs> um, there have been theories that have been put out there. So one, it's, first off, it's important to emphasize here because there has been some reporting some commentary of like, oh, they were using older versions of the Windows operating system and some other items. There's no evidence whatsoever that there were any exploits or other sort of uh, capabilities used in this event. Based on at least what was described by the Oldsmar authorities, it appears that some unknown entity authenticated via the TeamViewer application and utilized that to gain access to the control system environment. So then the question becomes, well, how do they get access to the TeamViewer environment? Because even if something was accessible, um, you still need a 
username and password to log on. Uh, and this is where things get a little interesting. So based upon some uh, reporting from uh, local and US government authorities, it appears that the team viewer instance was set up in such a fashion that uh, common usernames and passwords were used for multiple users. With that, it is possible, although this requires a bit of projection on our part, that that username and password combination was somehow compromised, either someone was using it for another application, or potentially there was another phase to this attack entirely, uh, some sort of credential capture, watering hole, some other sort of activity where those credentials were captured, or it could be the case that these credentials were simply brute forced and were something relatively simple to guess. Uh, overall, we just don't know. But the what we can learn from this, though, from a defender and an operator perspective, is the utility of one, making sure that we're securing credentials, and two, wherever possible, limiting the exposure of authentication portals to external entities and implementing multi-factor authentication wherever possible um, to really minimize the impact of credential guessing or credential capture. And while we can't say for certain, it is highly likely that had such measures been put in place at this facility that we wouldn't even be talking about this right now because no one would have been able to get access to it. it, it with cases like this and, and many other cyber attacks, uh, people will often talk about you know, sophisticated uh, cyber attackers, but there's not much sophisticated about uh, logging into account if the, uh, the credentials are username, admin, password, and password. But right. there's still evidently quite a lot of uh, places in the world, uh, be it you know, enterprises or you know, industry or an infrastructure, uh, where this is still the case. And unfortunately, attackers you know, of, of varying kinds are aware of this. Yes, and it is unfortunate. And to speak to the water and wastewater industry specifically and uh, industrial and utility environments more generally, we have a number of practitioners, asset owners, asset operators that have done a remarkable job over the last several decades in designing, implementing, and maintaining environments from an operations perspective and ensuring that there are safety controls, engineering controls in place to make sure that the water is clean, the power still flows, and you know the lights turn on when we flip a switch and whatnot, where we need to start expanding our understanding and the good work that has been done from an engineering perspective is by adopting a better security understanding that as we have for purposes of efficiency, convenience, or other uh, connected these environments together and centralized operations through remote access is now adding on cybersecurity controls and understanding and awareness on top of the existing engineering controls and uh, safety measures. Because like we talked about at the very beginning here with Holtzmar, even if the actions that were attempted in this environment succeeded and weren't caught as the unknown entity was doing them in roughly real time, there were controls in place that would have prevented a worst case scenario of poisoning people and other sort of doom and gloom scenarios. So that uh, mindset of planning for not just bad cases, but potentially worst case scenarios from a 
physical operations perspective, when you start applying that same mindset to uh, cybersecurity controls and connectivity to prevent this sort of incident from manifesting in the first place on the off chance that we do get a more savvy entity that understands how these systems work a, a bit better, that could cause some real damage or real harm. Yes, because there's various incidents that have been reported over the years where uh, hacking groups have managed to gain entry to uh, various types of infrastructure, uh, manufacturing or power plants or you know, electricity grids. And there's always a, even when after this has been discovered, people, and you know, maybe sort of, it was just discovered that the attackers had accessed the controls and maybe hadn't actually tampered with them. There's always that lingering question of what if they had uh, access this, especially now. Uh, say, for example, if an attacker took ground, took took out power across um, a large section of, uh, say, for example, the United States, it's going to cause issues. I mean, as as we're seeing in uh, a lot of the US uh, at the moment in Texas, uh, yes. not a cyber incident. That's the weather, but it's obviously causing a lot of issues that people can't use. Uh, you know, basic utilities. Right. And, you know, again, we've largely been lucky outside of Ukraine, Saudi Arabia, to a lesser extent, that we haven't seen impacts from any of this sort of accessibility. But we can see through whether forces of nature or acts of uh, physical equipment failure, what happens when some of these systems do fail or are unavailable. And by modeling what these uh, non-cyber incidents look like, whether you're talking the failure of the Texas grid or the, you know, pick a massive blackout scenario for talking electric sector, like the 2003 uh, Italy, Switzerland uh, blackout scenario from well, 2003, uh, that as we start modeling how those impacts played out, we can start getting a sense for like, well, yes, this was caused by you know some other physical phenomenon, but given the control afforded to operators, if they have uh, full accessibility to control system environments, we could potentially start these sort of cascading out outages ourselves. Uh, we haven't seen that yet, thankfully. It may have been tried in Ukraine in 2016, uh, given how that attack played out in terms of layering both the cutting of transmission operations, then followed by removing process protection through protective relays in that environment, which may have been an attempt to try to create a hazardous situation in that environment. So this isn't easy stuff to do, but people are thinking about it. And uh, while something like Oldsmar seems kind of laughable in hindsight to a certain extent because uh, it didn't really amount to anything and it seems kind of amateurish in nature, we need to put ourselves in the position of thinking like, okay, nothing bad happened in this instance, but what if this had been someone who knew what they were doing and had a bit more intent to do some real damage or real harm? How would that have looked like and how would we have caught this or prevented it? So to, to sum up here, I suppose, uh, what are the you know, key lessons that should be taken away from uh, this incident when it comes to securing critical infrastructure? Right. And you know, first and foremost is just understanding your own 
attack surface. What do we have exposed? What are the possibilities for third parties or unwanted entities for accessing our environments? Knowing what those avenues are, and then after they've been identified, securing them. That may sound simple, um, like, uh, and you know, arguably it could be to a certain extent, but like we talked about earlier, uh, ensuring that we're doing things like implementing robust authentication mechanisms and enforcing items like multi-factor authentication, especially when you're talking about externally accessible remote access portals are all pretty critical. And then understanding and monitoring for attempts to subvert or uh, take advantage of whatever external accessibility is there. So in the case of Oldsmar, we actually had, while there, you could argue that there were failures in, in the terms of having this externally exposed incident um, instance with relatively weak authentication schema, we did have monitoring though in place where the operators and question, we're able to spot this activity as it was going on. Now, that may have been a little bit of luck in terms of timing, given when this took place and that someone had eyes on the system at the same time. So from a defender perspective, we need to start expanding that visibility and monitoring so that it is something that we're doing 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 or 66 days a year, um, and so forth when we have an adversary that decides to come in after hours or blend into normal operations. So that combination of understanding our own networks, uh, hardening our networks where possible, and then looking for attempts to subvert or break into these environments, you know, sounds fairly basic, but that's at least where we need to get started for defending these environments. Thanks, Joe. That's some great advice. And thanks for joining me on ZDNet Security Update. And for more information on keeping your organization secure from cyber attacks, subscribe to ZDNet YouTube channel. And of course, keep reading articles and uh, news features on ZDNet. Thanks for watching.